Well, I'm so glad you're here today because you've caught us in the middle of a sermon series we're calling Holy Sex. And I, I hope by now, this is message number four, that everyone's just relaxed. You know, it hasn't been that provocative, has it? Right? It hasn't been that upsetting. I had emails like, can we bring the kids? Uh, right? There's been no diagrams. I've not stripped down. There's been no role play. It's been very tame, right? Holy sex, find out what God says about gender, sexuality, marriage, because it's a big part of life. It's a big part of who we are as human beings. So we want to know what God says. And last week we were in Romans chapter 1, where I showed you the slippery slope down into sexual sin and moral bankruptcy. It doesn't just happen. Don't say, I don't know how I got here. You may not be aware of how you got there, but there is a path that led you to that point. We looked at it from Romans chapter 1, and we said it starts with suppressing the truth. What you do know from God's word about sexuality and marriage and purity, and you just say, I don't want to hear that. I know better. We don't have to listen to God's word. That, the Bible's antiquated, dusty, old. It doesn't work today. Things are so different today. You suppress God's truth. You do not glorify God. You're disconnected from the glory of God. It's all about the glory of me. I live for me. What, what works best for me is what drives me. They suppress the truth. They do not glorify God. They do not give thanks and they allow their thoughts to run wherever they want to run. And you do that long enough, suppressing truth, being disconnected from the glory of God, living for you, ungrateful, complaining, letting your thoughts run wherever they want to run and it'll be lights out. It says in verse 21, Romans 1, their foolish hearts were darkened. And you'll end up going places you never intended to go Becoming someone you never intended to be. But it didn't just happen. But there's hope. And that's what I want to focus on today. I want to show you the way out. I want to show you some hope. There is a way out of sexual sin and every, any sin. There is a way out. That's what I want to focus on today. What I want to do is I want to point out for you some of the closest exits. When you are caught in sexual sin or any sin. You say, Brad, that's me. I'm way on down that path. Last week I walked out of here saying, oh my. Listen, if you're stuck and you're caught in sexual sin or any sin, I wanna point out, I can't give an exhaustive message. I'd have to talk three, four hours to tell you everything I'd like to say about how to get out. But I just want to get you started towards two of the main exits. Two of the main exits that I think you're gonna have to begin to deal with if you're ever gonna get out. Here's the first, exit number one. Attack the root and not just the fruit of your sexual sin. All sin, including sexual sin, has some roots. Don't just be whacking up here on the surface on the fruit. Figure out what some of the roots are and attack the root of sexual sin. And I'm going to give you what is not an exhaustive list. Don't have time for that. But I want to point out for you what I think are three, three of the biggest, gnarliest roots. That when you begin to dig down around sexual sin... Below the surface, you'll find this. You'll find this. One of the biggest roots, you know what one of the biggest roots is? When you dig down under the surface, it's just plain, old-fashioned selfishness. You say, Brad, please. You want me to get excited, alarmed, serious about that? Yeah, I do. Listen to me. Plain, old-fashioned selfishness run amok off the rails is the mother of so many sexual sins. Plain old-fashioned selfishness. You see, when you're caught up in the sin of selfishness, you stop thinking about anyone else around you and your world shrinks down to the size of your hormones and your next urge and your own pleasures. 
See, the sex addict, the adulterer who's committing adultery, the fornicator, the singles that are jumping in bed with each other, the porn addict, they all have a very small world. Their world has shrunk down to what I want next. My pleasure. The pleasure gets magnified and other people around them, including those closest to them, get marginalized, minimized, and trampled over. But what's driving it? It's just plain old-fashioned selfishness. Self-centered, it's all about me. So listen to me. Take aim at selfishness in your life. Don't treat selfishness as a, well, one, one day I'll get around to dealing with that. That doesn't sound like a real serious sin. Don't make peace with selfishness. Don't settle in with it. Don't pass over it like it's a harmless little sin. It's the reason that Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says what it says. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfishness, selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests. See, by nature, we wake up thinking about who? Listen to me. If there's any day you wake up thinking about someone besides you, it's the grace of God. Sorry. Don't, don't think, oh, I'm just such a great guy, great woman. It's the grace of God on any day that you wake up thinking about anybody but you. By nature, we look out for us. So he says, you're going to have to push. It's going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to think about this to actually look out for the interest of others and not just your own interests, but also for them. That's why I love James 3.16, one of my favorite verses that I think gives such insight to this. James 3.16 says, for where envy and self-seeking exists, all right, self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing will be there. Ooh, now that sounds a little more serious, right? But, but what did it start with? Just selfish ambition. It's me. It's me. It's the world of me. It's the universe of me, 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 me. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing will be there. Have you noticed someone who is caught up in sexual sin and the heart of it is selfishness? There's just all this confusion. No one can figure out what is going on. Where are they? What is going on? There's all this lying and deception. Confusion goes with self-seeking and every evil thing. See, when you wake up with self-seeking as the driving force in your life, it's like running a magnet through a field of sexual sins. And you'll attract, you will attract and gather a crowd of other heinous, evil sins because of the pull of your self-seeking heart. But it's your self-seeking heart that, like a magnet, draws other. That's why it says, where it exists, confusion and every evil thing will be there. There's a tsunami of confusion and sexual sin that's swirling around what looks like this little benign sin of selfishness. Oh, but listen to me. Selfishness is not benign. It's, one, it's malignant, and it's one of the most aggressive sins that you could ever let take root in your life. And selfishness is the very opposite of how Christians are supposed to live, how Christians are supposed to be characterized. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That's why Paul talks the way he does in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Go there in your Bible, and this is bonus. It's not even in your outline. Oh, bonus, value add. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's why Paul talks this way. Look at what he says. For the love, oh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Verse 14. For the love of Christ compels me. That word compel means it actually drives me. It it moves me. It's so powerful. It motivates behavior. There's supposed to be something besides me that moves me now. The love of Christ that has exploded in my life. His love towards me. The love of Christ, it doesn't just sit there and I think, well, it compels me. It compels me. For the love of Christ compels me because we are convinced of this, that if one died for all, all died. And notice this in verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live, who are the ones who live? What are you talking about? Spiritually, you're alive now. You were dead in trespasses and sins. It was lights out, darkness, slavery, bound. That's not you anymore if you know Christ. That those who live, you've been made alive in Christ. Your eyes are open. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. We are supposed to be characterized by living and being compelled by the love of Christ that pushes us outside of ourselves to think of others, to sacrifice for others. Steve Gallagher, in his excellent book, At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry, says, dealing with sexual sins is like dealing with bed sores for the person who's suffering with leukemia. You can treat the bed sores with the latest ointments and creams. You can put the best bandages on them every day. But until you cure the leukemia, the person's going to stay bedridden and will suffer with bed sores. Bed sores come from lying in bed. Thank you, Steve. And the only sure way to get rid of them is to get the person out of bed. In this same way, sexual sin is a byproduct of a self-centered existence. You are addicted to this sexual sin because you are self-centered. You can treat the sexual sin for the rest of your life, but until the self-centered nature is dealt with, the problem will persist. One of the roots is selfishness, self-centeredness, me. Until you begin to put that to death, you can have accountability partners, you can sign up for all kinds of programs, you can do any kind of number of things, but it's just ointment on bed sores when you've really got leukemia. Selfishness. Paul Tripp adds this thought, excellent new book that he's come out with in the last six months, fantastic, called Sex and Money. And Paul Tripp says this, practical everyday me-ism, where the world is reduced to the small confines of your comfort, your pleasure, your control, your happiness, and your ease, never works. You see, it's simply not about you. And when you make it about you, nothing good results. God forgetting self-sovereignty. Remember last week in Romans 1, verse 28, where it says, and since they did not like to retain who in their knowledge? God in their knowledge. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to factor God into my sexuality or my money or my choices or my life. Uh -uh. God forgetting self-sovereignty is dangerous to you and destructive to your heart and will cause you to use things in a way they were not intended to be used. Meism never results in long-term peace, rest, satisfaction, and joy. Go after selfishness. Root number two. Number two, ungratefulness. And I know we talked about this last week from Romans chapter one, but it bears repeating today. If you're ever gonna get out of sexual sin, ungratefulness has to be replaced with thankfulness 
for what you do have instead of focusing on what you don't have. The person caught up in sexual sin is someone who focuses regularly on what they don't have, what they ought to have, what they deserve, how they think it ought to be. See, the person caught in sexual sin is almost always focused on what they don't have. And so ungratefulness, get this, ungratefulness becomes the pilot light. That little blue flickering flame. Ungratefulness becomes the pilot light that heats up the furnace of your flesh. And and it seems like a little thing. You think, well, ungratefulness, whatever. Here's what happens. When you're ungrateful and your your MO, how you go about life, is just regularly focused on what you don't have, what I don't have, what I want, what I want, what I want, what I don't have, your discontent. That little blue flame of ungratefulness heats up the furnace. You know, I walk out in my garage. We got a gas burning furnace, right? I got a little vent, a little window I can look through and see if it's lit. No big deal, little blue flame. That little blue flame, when it's lit, will cause this entire furnace to kick on and heat up. And then all the vents in my home, 2,000 square foot home, begin to blow heat. And what do we do sometimes in, in life with, 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 with sin? We're running around shutting the vents, closing off the vents, stacking up pillows and towels and trying to find ways. Folks, until you extinguish that little blue flame of ungratefulness, you're just going to be running around shutting off vents of sexual temptation. It's just going to feel like you heat up and it's just blowing. This is like, oh, I'm out of control. Go after the root, selfishness and ungratefulness. Ungratefulness is the pilot light that keeps your furnace of flesh lit and it'll heat up and it's gonna begin to blow. Ungratefulness. Because see, what you'll do is you start thinking, I have the right, I have the right to go out and get something else to satisfy me because you think, I deserve better. Life's not fair. God's not been good. Where's this good God? Where are his promises? It hasn't come through. My life hasn't turned out the way. I deserve better. I started giving. I signed up for an EFT dog on it. And I host a small group and I keep the nursery. You think you have the right. Remember those three little words last week that seemed so innocuous in Romans 1.21? Three little words, by the way, that are jammed right down into a list of really bad stuff. Nor were, say it, thankful. Though, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. See, that's why gratefulness, gratefulness is one of the best repellents to sin in your life, including sexual sin. It's like you pick up a can of gratitude in the morning and you spray it all over yourself before you head out of the home. And it's like gratitude is like it sprays this layer of Teflon on your heart and flesh Because, folks, we can't stop the world from being the world. We can't tear down billboards. We can't tell every woman that works where you work to dress better. You're going to see some women that look like hookers that you're working right next to. What are you going to do? I tell you what, when you've sprayed yourself with gratitude and you out loud are, are consciously thanking God for what you do have, not what you don't have, and you're making a list of what you're thankful for, and you're cultivating gratitude, and you're speaking it out loud, and you're choosing to be grateful, it's like you spray yourself, and you are able to resist sexual temptation. Don't hear me saying, wake up and say, thank you, God, and head out, and now you won't have any problems. Do hear me saying, 
sexual temptations and sins just don't stick to you like they would. They're going out. Satan is throwing temptations at every one of us, but I tell you who they're sticking to the most and impacting the most and troubling the most. Those who are most ungrateful. The ungrateful person, let me put it to you this way, the ungrateful person is at greater risk for becoming a moral pragmatist. You know what I mean by that? When you're ungrateful and the temptation hits, it's very easy to rationalize and say, I deserve better. Life has been so disappointing. I'm in so much pain. It's just not turning out. Therefore, you're at greater risk when you're ungrateful and you're a complainer. Much greater risk. Larry Crabb describes it well. Larry Crabb describes it this way. He says, unremitting struggle tends to blur our lines of moral distinctions. Things that are clearly wrong become less offensive in our conscience when they provide our only hope for relief. Again, notice the central problem. It's neither the hurt in our soul. It's okay to hurt. Nor our desire for relief and satisfaction. It's okay to thirst. It is the demand. When we demand relief of our thirst now, we're in danger of slipping from a biblical ethic into a morality of pragmatism. Whatever eases our pain is justified. The result is often blatant moral compromise and a ruined life. But it started with ungratefulness. Ungratefulness that lit lit the furnace and heats up. Let me put it to you this way. When you make getting relief from the pain or disappointment in your life your number one goal, your next decision is almost always a bad one. Are we in pain? Is life hard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you get disappointed, shattered dreams, perplexed? God, this doesn't make sense. How could this? I'm your child. Yes, 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 including yours truly. But folks... When you make getting relief from the pain. What's to be our goal? What's to be our number one goal? Glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. When that's off the table and you make as your number one goal getting relief from the pain and disappointment, I have to... Almost always your next decision is a bad one, an ungodly one, a sinful one. Let me give you a third route. So go after selfishness, go after ungratefulness. Number three, one of the roots is cold-heartedness towards God. You say, Brad, what does God have to do with my sexuality? Oh, everything. Yeah, Because sin, especially sexual sin, is what we do when we are not what? satisfied in God. Oh yeah, you're not satisfied in your wife. You're not satisfied with your husband. You're not satisfied with your job. You're not satisfied with whatever. But folks, you got a bigger vertical problem than you've got horizontal problems. When you're dissatisfied with God, you'll never be satisfied with anything else in this life. And you know what happens? When you're trying to get it all from this life, whether it's your job or your looks or your sex or your relationships, you put such demands on other people because you need so much because you're not getting what you're supposed to get from God. And so you put a burden and a demand on other people and it just crushes relationships, ruins relationships, and then you're frustrated and you press harder or you move on and start over. But your biggest problem is what God talks about in Jeremiah 2.13 when he says, my people... I'm not talking about pagans even in this verse. My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, 
the fountain of living water and have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold. Your marriage is a broken cistern. No matter how good it is, it's still broken and it leaks. Your best friend, your job, your, whatever satisfies you in this life is still broken and it leaks and you will just struggle all your days here if you're not getting from God what you only can be satisfied by with him, with him, with him. Recognize cold-heartedness towards God. You see, sexual sin, the sexual sin that you're chasing after doesn't just make a statement about your fleshly desires. It does. It makes a statement about your relationship with God that has gone very cold. Don't tell me you have a white-hot, passionate relationship with God and our Savior Jesus Christ and you're up to your eyeballs in sexual sin. Not gonna happen. Never. Shut up. I had so many people try to convince me that things are so good with them and God while they do this, while they commit adultery, while they shut up. No way. No way, no way, no way, no way. You're not satisfied in God. You're not delighting in God. You're not enjoying God. You're not close to God. It's not gonna happen. You gotta get your relationship with God where it needs to be. That's, that's why the Apostle Paul says something very striking in 2 Corinthians 5.20. In 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And then he tells us what our one message is supposed to be. Be reconciled to God. Those four words, that's our message. And that passage, by the way, in 2 Corinthians 5 was written to believers. You say, well, Brad, See, there's two ways to be unreconciled to God. If you're here and you're not a Christian, well, how you get reconciled with God is to put your trust in Christ, to repent, to say, yes, Lord Jesus, and to to come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. But can believers be in a state of unreconciliation? Don't hear me saying, can you lose your salvation? Oh, yeah, you can. You might be a Christian here and you're, you're mad at God. You're disappointed in God. You are cold and put off. You've turned the shoulder to God saying, if that's, if that's God, if he's not gonna do all I want, if he's gonna, listen to me, it's not the only thing you need to do, but the first thing you need to do if you're ever gonna work your way out of sexual sin or any sin is to be reconciled to God. You'll never do this on your own. It's your vertical relationship that's gotta be right before you even try to work on untangling any of these horizontal relationships. Paul Tripp says, you see, it's all vertical. The madness of sexual sin isn't first horizontal, so it won't be fixed horizontally. This insanity is vertical. It's only when God is in his rightful place as the unchallenged master of our hearts that everything else in our lives will be in their appropriate places as well. When something else replaces him, insanity and chaos of some kind always results. Exit door number one. Don't just go after the fruit. Go after the root. And three of the biggest ones are unselfishness, ungratefulness, cold-heartedness towards God. Let me point out the second exit. Be ruthless and radical with your sin. Don't just take little stabs at it. Oh, I really want out of this. No, you don't. Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus says, if your right eye sins against you, pluck it out. If your right hand sins against you, cut it off. Boom. What in the world is going on? Now, I, does Jesus mean literally do that? Should all of us in this room be down to one eye, maybe no eyes, just gaping caverns, just holes? 
with nubs. No, no. I was teaching a men's retreat in New York City uh, 15 years ago. There was a guy that was missing his arm from his elbow down. He ran it through a lathe because he was, he was struggling with sexual sin and masturbation and pornography. Guess what? He was at a retreat where I was teaching on sexual sin because he still struggled with what? Sexual sin. You can be down to a squirming bloody nub, just all your limbs missing. And you're still, you got your heart raging with lust because Matthew 15 says, out of the heart. So what does Jesus mean? I'll tell you what he means. It's to get your attention and for you to say, whoa, that sounds, that sounds, what word? Say it louder. Radical. Radical. Yeah, that's what he means. I mean, get radical with your sin. Be willing to do whatever. You get rid of your computer, you shut it down, you change jobs, you do whatever it takes to get this sin out of your life. See, so many of you, you're just playing around with it while you say to everybody, oh, I really want help, I really want... No, you don't. You take little stabs at it, but you don't want it to die. You want it to still be there if you want to go back to it. You'll never get out until you decide, I'm all in. God, deliver me. It's like, it's like the uh, Homeland Security Advisory System. If you're in the airport and you're flying, you hear it over the intercom all the time now. The Homeland Advisory System says, it gives you the color for the day. Is it orange? Is it green? Is it red? Is it yellow? What level threat are we at for being attacked or having a terrorist or something bad happening while I'm flying today? Matthew 5, 29 and 30 is Jesus telling you the level threat and he's saying, it is serious. It is serious. Take this serious. Don't play around. And let me give you just one. There's many ways you could do this. But let me give you just one way that you put into practice taking sin serious and getting radical. It's this. Don't buy into the lie of just one more. Oh, I'm going to have sex with her just one more time. We're going to shut it down. I'm going to look at this website just one more time. We're going to shut it down. I'm going to call her one more time. I'm, I'm, just, just one more. I'm going to sleep with my boyfriend one more. I feel bad about this. I know it's right. But after next weekend. Wh- listen to me. Satan's smart enough. He knows if he says to you, don't listen to God's word at all. You heard the sermon from the sweaty man on Sunday. Just discount it all together. Who cares? Do what you want. He's so stupid. He doesn't know. Satan knows you wouldn't go for that. He says this. Listen, because some of you are hearing it. He was right. He was right. You're on a bad path but you don't have to do anything about it. What's the next word? Yet. 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 You should, but not yet. Just one more. And folks, just one more turns into just one more that turns into just one more. And just one more can turn into weeks, months, and sometimes a lifetime. Paul Tripp says it so well. He says, delay is disobedience in a tuxedo. You dress it up. I'm still disobedient. I'm still not going to do, but it makes me think, oh, I am. Delay is disobedience in a tuxedo. You dress it up, but you still have no intentions. Delay gives you room to rebel against the authority of God while telling yourself that you have every intention to obey. And in so doing, you ease your conscience when it actually needs to be troubled. Listen, just one more never satisfies. The way sin works and the way your flesh works is just one more ignites and feeds a desire for just one more. That ignites and feeds a desire for, say it, just one more. That's why Ephesians 4.19 says what it does. It says, 
they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for what? More. It's the nature of all sin, but especially sexual sin. It leaves you not satisfied. The satisfaction that you feel is so momentary. And then it just leaves you with a raging desire for more, more, more. And the, and the lie that just a little more will satisfy. But it won't. It won't. The only thing that's going to break the chain is the power of Jesus Christ. So I want us to stop and celebrate. There's great books. We do counseling here. There's great stuff we have. But folks, I want us to acknowledge at the heart of this, Apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no hope to get out of any sin, including sexual sin. But because Christ died and conquered sin and Satan and rose again, you don't have to go on being a slave and following Satan's destructive plan for your life. You can be free. But you better go after the root and not just the fruit. And you better get radical and ruthless and stop playing around taking little stabs at it. I want to read a passage of scripture that I think helps us celebrate what Christ has done and gives you hope. And as I read it, I want our worship team to join me on the stage. I want to ask our men if they'd move forward who are going to help me serve the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go there with me in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Six. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now see, if I stopped right there, you might think, oh, okay, so the only people that are going to heaven are good people. That's what the world talks about. There are no good people. Look what he says. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, it's going to be really quiet there and empty. I want you to look at those two verses again. Look at them. Raise your hand if you see yourself anywhere on that list. Get them up high. Best of you are liars. Because you're there. Everybody's there. Everybody's there. You say, well, Brad, oh, hey, good news. Look at the next verse. And such, what's the verb tense coming up? Were. Were. See, the world would label you a sex addict for life, forevermore. No. The power of Jesus can change lives, including those caught in sexual sin. Such were some of you. Then three buts are coming up. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Skip to verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now just put this in your pipe and smoke it a minute. When you jump into bed with someone other than your wife... If you're a believer, you take Jesus with you. Have fun in your next romp. Think about Jesus right there with you. Awkward. As singles, as you have sex with your girlfriend, sex with your boyfriend, you take Jesus with you. If you say you're a believer, Jesus is there. Right there. 
As you look at that flickering screen and drink in an hour or two of pornography, thinking your wife is asleep and nobody sees you, Jesus is sitting right at your side looking at everything you're looking at. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. You're not your own. He's bought you. You're his son or daughter, and he lives in you. And he's promised to give you power to say no to sin. 